Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So if we haven't met before, I'm Rob. I'd like to lead us in a little prayer that talks about that. It goes like this. Be still and know that I am God. Then take off the last word of the phrase each time. So Lord, help us to be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still and. Be still. Be. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would meet us in your word and in this time as we gather together, that you would reveal your truth, that you would illuminate our understanding, that you would open our minds and our hearts and our lives, that these words that we speak to each other and hear from your word may be life to us. So God, help us to hear your voice as we draw together, as we read. We long to be challenged, God, transformed and renewed in our time together as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are continuing a series called I Want to Believe But, and it's looking at this, these challenges that Jesus gave in conversation and this continual invitation to believe and the things that get in the way of our belief or our believing. And we'll see that last week we talked about faith and doubt and how doubt doesn't have to be a bad thing. Doubt can actually be this doorway to greater faith if we know what to do with it. If we can bring our doubt to Jesus and his church, he can actually transform that doubt. He can handle that doubt. Nothing surprises him. All we have to do is bring it to him and we can talk to him about it. Next week, we'll look at faith and hypocrisy and this idea that we want to believe in God, but we see people who say they believe, but then seem to really love things that really don't seem to be in line with God. And if we look at our own lives, we would also see things that aren't aligned with God, and so how our own sin and shame gets in the way of our believing. The week after that is faith and things, and the challenge to believe in a time and a place where we can have just about anything we want. But this week, we're talking about faith and truth, and it really it could be best described as a uh, as a little story, an example. When my dad and I went uh, one time when I was about eight or nine, ten years old, he took me to a construction site where we, they were building this, um, I don't remember what they were building, I just remember it was cool, because there was stuff that was demolished, there were lumber everywhere, and there were just like tons of men in hard hats working, it was really amazing. My dad stopped me, and he's like, son, okay, this is a construction site, it's a big deal that you get to come here, but there are nails that will likely be sticking up out of boards, do not step on them, it could be very bad for you. And as we talk about faith and truth today, 
Really what we're talking about is I want to believe, but I don't have confidence in sharing my faith. Well, my dad was sharing his faith in this idea that rubber-soled shoes, like tennis shoes, will not keep nails out of people's feet if you step on them. I had to either choose to have faith in my dad or discover the truth of that by going, hmm, gosh, I wonder if, do you really think, and as we walked around this little site, uh, then he started talking to someone, and I went over to a nail that was sticking up, and I started pushing my shoe and going, hmm, gosh, it doesn't seem to be penetrating. I don't think that rusty three-inch nail is actually going to go through my shoe. I wonder, oh, dear Lord. Uh, <laughs> Dad, so that is faith and truth. And um, I don't know if I told my mom that story, but if you are someone who doesn't yet trust Jesus, I want you to know that we're glad you're here that we're always thinking and praying of ways to talk about Jesus and meet Jesus in relevant and respectful ways. Now, today is going to potentially be very much geared towards people who already believe as we talk about having confidence in sharing our faith. But I think that you will find things that are meaningful and even encounter God in this conversation. But the reality is if we say that we believe in Jesus and we want to follow him with our life and do what he did and walk as he walked and imitate his pattern, then we have to wrestle with the reality that Jesus' life was a mission, that he came to rescue and save the world. John three sixteen and 17 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come to condemn the world, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So the reality is Jesus came to rescue us and save us, to not condemn us. And some of us think that faith and truth means, you know, I've just got to really understand how rusty that nail is, how, how much that, that shot for, what shot is that? Come on now tetanus shot, how much that tetanus shot would really hurt. Oh, how I could die from that. And, and people get this image that faith and truth is like, whoa, it's like telling people about the rusty nail and that you will die from the nail. There's some truth in that, but I think that it destroys some of the confidence that we have in sharing Others of us say, oh, if I don't know every single thing, I've got to study tetanus. I've got to study nails. I've got to study construction sites and safety to understand before I could ever share. But no, the reality is a lot of us say, or what I hear, maybe you don't say this, but I hear a lot, I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't have confidence in sharing my faith. I want to believe in Jesus, but I'm actually afraid to share my faith. I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't know how to share my beliefs. Or I want to believe in Jesus, but I've seen it done so poorly, I just don't want to add to the bad. But I actually believe in Jesus, and I believe we can have confidence in sharing our faith. So if you have a Bible or a uh, a favorite app like the Bible app, you can go to John chapter 4. And we're, in this story, we could, we could spend 
all afternoon here in the story. But there's a few things that I want to focus on that I think talk to us about how we're challenged in sharing our faith and how we can have confidence in sharing our faith. This story is one you may know before. It's Jesus and a nameless woman at a special well. And it says in John 4.4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a place in Samaria. And we should probably stop right there and go, well, why? Why did he have to go through Samaria? Is that somewhere he normally traveled? Well, Jesus was from this region of Galilee, we'll just call Canada. And he had to often go down to the capital, we'll call Kansas. And so when Jesus would travel from Galilee to Kansas, he would naturally pass through Minnesota, which would be Samaria. Except that nobody liked to go through Samaria because this was a mixed race of people that kind of abandoned God many years ago when they had this great king and the nation split. And so they're forever holding this grudge, kind of like when a Vikings fan all of a sudden becomes a Packers fan. It's like, okay, I know we've been friends for years and years, but dude, you just killed me here. And so it's a little bit like that. It's probably actually stronger than that. So people would go around Samaria. But this says now he had to go through Samaria. I would just like us to wonder about why he had to go through Samaria. Because I think this speaks to that challenge of why it's hard to share our faith. Why some of us have to go, hmm, I don't know. Maybe, maybe my rubber shoe will keep that nail out. And it's because Jesus goes to places that we don't want to go to. See, if Jesus was sent by God, then maybe that's why he had to go through Samaria. Because nobody else who was sent by God was going to Samaria. Any one of us who is created in the image of God is sent by God. Any of us who acknowledge that God is part of our life is now sent by God. Every one of us is sent by God, but not every one of us goes. See, there was a man who came from God whose name was Jonah, and he didn't go. If you have your Bible, you might want to go over to Jonah 1.1. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and it said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran from the, away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, whose name means peace. It actually means dove, but dove, remember, is in Noah's story of the flood. And that was this messenger of peace that God was not flooding the world anymore, not renewing it, but instead bringing life back. And so Jonah, his, his essence, his name, his character meant peace. And he came from Amittai, meaning truth, my truth. So peace... The word of the Lord came to peace from truth. Go speak to a nation who is your enemy, who is on the rampage. And what should you tell them when you run into people who are your enemies? Peace from truth. See, Jesus always shared grace or peace in a truth-filled way. Or when he shared truth, he shared it in a grace-filled way. But he always shared it. 
So maybe Jonah didn't know, didn't understand that that's what God was calling him to be, that he didn't have to be someone he wasn't to go talk to these people about what it meant to be connected to God and repent, turn from their ways, and instead choose life. Maybe he just didn't want to go to that place, but the word of the Lord came from him. He was a man that was, came from God but did not choose to be sent and go to the place that God had called him to go. Instead, he went the extreme opposite direction. See, I think all of us are sent by God, but only some of us choose to go. So part of the challenge of faith and truth is admitting that we go, that Jesus goes to places that we don't want to go to. And to conquer that challenge, really, we have to ask God to direct our days God, send me to the places in my day that you would want me to go to. Now, that might look for you like going to the office and sitting in your cubicle, but asking God, as I move throughout my spaces, to see what you want me to see, God. That may mean if you're in a classroom, God, direct me to the places today that you need me to go to. Because I'm available to you. I don't have to be someone I'm not. It's not like... God was asking Jonah to be someone he wasn't. He was asking him to be who he was, actually peace from truth. See, we're all sent, but we don't all go. And Jesus meets this woman who is coming to a well to get water. I would love to spend hours and hours talking about what it means to get water. Especially at noon, when you're avoiding people but you need a source of life. He he has this encounter with her where he talks about physical needs and it turns to spiritual needs. And then it talks about worldly desires and it moves to eternal desires. And when she finally asks about a relationship with God, a connection with this one true God, Jesus actually points to himself. Meaning the way that we have a relationship with God is through the person of Jesus. I think sometimes we're challenged because we overcomplicate it. But the other challenge is that Jesus talks to people that we don't feel comfortable talking to. See, when the disciples come back in verse 27, just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? See, Jesus has already used this phrase earlier in his ministry. This phrase, what do you want, which doesn't actually sound like demanding. It more means, what are you seeking? What do you desire? What are you looking for? And at the very beginning of his ministry, when John the Baptist points him out, two of John's disciples named Andrew and John start following Jesus. And as they follow Jesus and Jesus notices them, he turns around and says, what do you want? Well, that's supposedly a culturally appropriate question for Jesus, who is a Jewish man from Galilee, northern region, to ask two men who are also Jewish, who are also men, who are also from the region of Galilee. And all of a sudden, not only is Jonah's story our story, but the disciples' story is our story. 
Because no sooner do they start following Jesus than all of a sudden when there's a woman who is obviously not a man and not Jewish from a different region, from a different place, from a different faith, all of a sudden we can't ask her what is she seeking, what does she want with Jesus, because we don't assume that someone who's very different than us might be seeking Jesus too. But she is the first person in her whole town to say, now we know that this is the savior of the world. No one else had said that yet in the story. See, the challenge is that we don't want to talk to the people that Jesus talks to, or we don't feel comfortable, or we don't know what to say. But the way to conquer that challenge is actually just to ask God, God, help me to see people like you see them and to show them your love. I mean, Jesus gives this woman dignity, respect, and he tells the truth to her. And again, he does it in a grace-filled way. And when he gives grace, he does it in a truth-filled way. He doesn't shy away. And she asks questions that kind of border on, well, what if I stick my foot through the nail? You know, I know you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not the one you want. If you don't know the story, I'm sorry I'm giving different parts of it. It's a great story to read. She was putting her worth or her trust or her faith in what status or in what acceptance or in what love could do. She wasn't finding it. So we can put our hope in a lot of stuff and a lot of other people. And if it's not Jesus, it's ultimately not going to last. So we have to ask God, God, help me to see people as you see them. Because even people very different than me are actually seeking a savior. So I've invited a few people who have actually shared their faith before to come up and share with us how they do it, how they're challenged, what they're learning. And I I hope this will put some meat on the bones, if you will, some color into the picture that I've just laid out about the challenge and actually the confidence that we can have in sharing our faith. So if Janice and Anne and Leslie and Chad will come up. So, first, I thought it'd be helpful to start with Hey, I'm not the only one who, you know, people say, oh, you're a pastor. It must be really easy to share your faith. Eh, actually, no, it's somewhat difficult. Um, what do you find challenging in sharing your faith? So, Janice, if you don't mind starting, that would be great. Um, my journey has changed recently. Um, I would say within the last year, new convictions about things. And right now, my biggest challenge is how do I share my faith in a world that Christianity is very much tied up in politics? Mm -hmm. And so genuinely showing the true character of Christ and what he stood for, what Jesus would be doing um, in a world that has a lot of misconceptions about that right now. And the other one, 
being a suburban mom, you know, um, it used to be, you know, well, what does a church do when someone's sick? Well, they bring meals. Um, I very quickly realized there's so many great um, moms out there that are doing so much more than I am to be nice. And they're not necessarily coming from a place of faith and doing that, but they're just genuinely nice people. And so how do I, again, show Christ in a way that looks different than just being that really nice suburban mom who's always volunteering or bringing something to a friend or texting or emails? Because if you know me, I'm just not real good (laughs) at um, doing a lot of that. Thanks. How about you, Anne? I would say that um, for me, what, probably one of the biggest challenges I have in sharing my faith is that I work, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I, so I have a lot of ethical boundaries around faith, um, what we talk about in sessions. And um, first and foremost, I have to be very respectful of what people are bringing to me. Um, and a lot of times that is feeling marginalized by the Christian community. Um, because they are homosexual or have blue hair or whatever it might be, Um, sort of that social stigma that you were talking about, that there's a lot of political charge behind the the term Christianity. Um, But evidence of my faith is all over my office if they look for it. My master's degree is a seminary degree. So if they're looking at my diploma, people can see that. I have a big painting on my wall that was done by um, Annie Young, who probably some of you know. Um, She's blind, and it's a cross, and I know that's what it is, but kids often ask me what it is, and so I let them interpret. But so there are signs of it in my office, but I have to be really careful about it because ethically, you know, it's kind of a big no-no, so. Okay, so I have a past challenge where I thought, there's just maybe one certain way to do it or a more right way to share your faith. And so I thought I was always more like, I got to be a missionary. I got to go do cold calling. I have to go find those people. I know. Um, anyway, though, I did, that's kind of changed, but I did this little disciple group study, and then that totally changed the way I thought. Um, and now my present challenge is trying to just contain myself and not be like fire hydranty and more of a garden hose, because I would never want someone to go and be you know, afraid of my spray. So. It's a beautiful, beautiful word picture. So, and you learned a new word, fire hydranty. I love it. How about you, Chad? Challenge. Well, I'm going to include myself in this group, so, so just be warned here. People are stupid. You know, that is my biggest challenge. Hmm. Um, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, let me explain. Um, it's hard to get wrapped up into other people's problems. And when you start to witness, you're going to get wrapped up in other people's problems. You're going to get caught up into um, other situations and circumstances that you don't necessarily want to be part of, but God's calling you into. So, you know, it, it's hard to get past that, you know, do I get involved with their poor choices or do I, you know, just kind of keep it to myself, you know, turn the, you know, not looking. <laughs> so, Show compassion to people when you want to make snide comments. Is that what you're saying? Uh, how about ways that you naturally share your faith? 
that just seem to come out. I mean, some people might call this being successful or winning, but you know, as we talked beforehand, it was more organic, natural. Um, kind of just ties in with what Chad just said, where I find it most natural is in those conversations. People want to talk about themselves. They do. They want to share their story. And so where I have found it the easiest, actually, is just in listening for a period of time and asking questions. If my first questions are about them, about their family, how they felt, how they dealt with that, what's going <clears throat> really well in their life, um, if I've asked a lot of questions and shown interest and followed up um, at another time with that, then when I say, um, you know, do you have a faith or have you seen how God is working through that? Or um, can I share with you um, something that happened to me that's similar? Then it's not awkward at all because they're already used to having a conversation with me um, in which I've asked questions and even personal questions um, and just come alongside them in that. So um, as I do that and I share my own story, um, then people can't argue with that. Um, I did learn a while ago you can't argue people to Jesus. So ever mm -hmm. getting into a theological discussion um, never is going to work because they're on the defensive. So as I listen to their story and share my story, um, they can't take that away from me. They can't say, no, God didn't do that in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I find most successful. It's really in relationship building, not knowledge building um, with people, um, and just genuinely being interested in other people and their stories. I think um, when, when Rob first posed this question to me earlier in the week, um, the first thing that leapt to mind was my, my CrossFit gym community. Um, and I thought about that a little further and like why that would leap to me. And I think it's because we are, if you know anything about CrossFit, it is no joke. We are, we are a group of people that are very real with each other. We, you know, like I witness people peeing their pants when they're jumping rope and they witness me, you know, it's not coming out of my nose. And because it, you have to give everything you've got to get through these workouts. And at the end of the workout, we are sitting in a puddle of everybody's sweat, complaining about how awful that was. And then we come back the next day and do it all over again. But I think that um, the reason that that leapt to mind for me is because it is a place where we are really real with each other and we can be really raw and we've seen each other shine and we've seen each other at, at our worst, um, mm -hmm. dying on the floor and thinking, I can't get through this. And so um, for me, I think it's any time that I am in a situation with people where we are really being genuine and real and letting it all hang out. I know, I was thinking, it's more than sweat. You're sitting in body fluids and all that. <laughs> I think, yeah, just stick know, with your answer. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just a little bit taken back by that, yeah. Okay, so like five years ago, uh, my life changed a little bit, and Jesus and I became best friends. So we love to hang out together. I'm talking to him all the time. 
one time I was just rambling on and telling him a story, and I accidentally called him dude in the conversation. So I was like, oh, I'm sorry, but I just... Anyway, so I also love people, and I love interacting with people, and there's just all different levels from my work um, to church to the shoe store to McDonald's drive through um, just all kinds of interactions. Um, and there, I have all different levels of acquaintances um, from really deep to just maybe a 30 seconds, I want to show you um, that I value you. And so because, um, oh, I might have to save that for later. Oh, I have to save the rest for later. Extrovert, introvert. Um, it, it, this is, uh, I think, the the you know part of sharing your faith is it, it comes down to the relationships. Um, you know, I find it easiest to to deal with people in that one-on-one -on -one relationship, and and that's where you get that opportunity to share Christ, and that's you know where you're. And I think I'm hearing that from from the other three people up here. Um, that this is where you get the opportunity to really let your face shine. It's, it's not about what you're saying. It's what you're living. It's how you're doing it. It's, it's, it's that aspect of, you know, do I really want to go here and be vulnerable in this? And, and that's the, the aspect that I think it, where it becomes easiest is when you know these people and you care about them and, and you know who they are and you know what Christ can bring to them, it really makes it a lot easier. Awesome. How about what you're learning about sharing your faith? Um, right now, I'm shaping and refining the idea of not having an agenda. Um, reflecting back on early um, evangelistic efforts growing up um, very much in the campus crusade world, um, all through junior high and high school, um, it was very like four spiritual laws. You go out to the mall, you go to the state fair, go up to strangers with this agenda to share um, you are a sinner <laughs> and you need Jesus. Um, and as I grew um, in maturity over the years and certainly life experiences, um, having an agenda is generally my agenda. And although the Lord is... Um, commanded us um, to go out and make disciples, um, you really have to look at how Jesus did it. And it was very relational and very service-oriented. And so embracing that more, um, really just to love people where they're at. And that really means everybody. And it particularly to me means loving the people that... Um, Forgive awkward phrasing here because I really am struggling and learning through this. Um, really loving people that the larger evangelical church um, and right political spectrum um, is ostracizing right now. And, and that's not everybody. Please understand, I, I'm talking about that larger cultural movement, not individuals, um, but really loving them and welcoming, welcoming them into my life and what does that look like. So that's what I'm really learning right now um, is just to realize that God is already working in their lives. I don't have to bring God to the situation. 
Um, I just be present and I bring the gifts that I have to that situation um, and just look and see where God is already working in their lives. I think um, one of one of the biggest sort of stretches in my personal growth and um, my faith growth when I was in seminary was learning, had to do a lot of um, psychological evaluations because obviously they want to be unleashing people on the public who are, you know, <laughs> need, need some help. So um, lots of self-discovery in that process. And one of the things that came back on, on my psychological reviews was that I am somebody who has always felt embraced by my culture, which makes sense. I'm tall, I'm blonde, I'm white. I have, you know, I'm married to somebody in the military. And so I have had the experience of feeling fully embraced by my culture. And for a long time, I wasn't aware of that. And so for me, what I'm learning about sharing my faith and learning about faith in general is that that is not the story for a majority of people. Mm who don't feel embraced by the culture that they're in, and they feel marginalized. And that that is where Jesus concentrated his efforts, was not with the people who felt fully embraced by their society or their culture. It was the people who were living on the margins. And those are the people who I work with every day. So again, I'm back to that ethical dilemma of being careful with what I'm sharing, but it's such a soul-nourishing job for me to do day to day to work with people who are on the margins and have always felt on the margins. And so what can I bring into my profession and what it is that I love to do um, spiritually? And how do I do that well? Okay, so a couple things I'm learning. Um, one is, again, I'm, when I went through this disciple group study, I learned, okay, it doesn't have to look like cold calling. Um, I don't have to always go out to find people. That God naturally brings them into my um, sphere of influence, which is totally perfect for me because as I'm, um, as Jesus and I are being best friends and the more I love him and the more I hang out with him, I just feel like, oh my gosh, wouldn't you want to introduce somebody to your best friend or wouldn't you want them to go, oh, do you know so-and-so? And and so um, I've learned, I kind of know this, but I love one-on-one -on -one stuff. And so the majority of my job is one-on-one. -on -one. And um, I'm learning that I know um, I don't kind of care anymore if people don't like me because I talk about Jesus and how much I love him. And so I'm always looking for little ways um, that I can just introduce him into the conversation. And some of them are silly. It will come from talking about Sonicare. And they'll go, oh, you're so passionate about it. And I go, I know. I love Sonicare, and I love Jesus. Or if I'm going to take x-rays and I have to leave the room, I say, okay, I'll be right back unless Jesus comes, and then maybe I'll see you somewhere outside the office. Or anytime I can drop a little, what's that? I put a little carriage or something out there, and then I see how people respond, and some people will catch it, kind of like what Anne's saying in her office. People will catch it, and I can tell by their response. And then it, sometimes it doesn't go very far, and other times I'm like, oh! Then just imagine what happens. So, um, oh, and the other thing I'm doing, I'm always praying and asking um, for God to just give me an awareness of his opportunities um, that he puts before me and discernment of how the conversation goes and 
you know, where I'm going to take that or, you know. I'm, when I go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, I don't say, Jesus loves you and stuff like that. It's just, it's always different. I think the thing that I'm learning most is, um, as people, we're designed for community. Um, and that's a hard one for me, because back to you know question one, people are stupid. Um, you know, we're designed to live in that group and that accountability that that provides and the, the blessings that provides and, and the things you get from those groups um, has helped my faith immensely. Um, I have a group of guys that meets on Saturday mornings. You know, I don't know where I'd be without those guys. You know, it, it's a huge part of my life. Um, that accountability is huge and that allows me the opportunities to take that and go outside of that group and go to, you know, reach out beyond that, so. Awesome. Um, just one more question, and we'll try and keep it short, but um, I think I'm learning that I often overcomplicate things, and so it's just keeping it simple. Like, here's Jesus. You should meet him. And that's what the woman at the well did. When she was this marginalized person, she actually didn't just say, oh, it feels so good to be accepted. She ran back to her village and brought everybody else there, too and said, come, meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could it be the Messiah? I mean, that sure was an amazing faith story, but it was simple and effective. So um, tools that you find helpful or an encouragement you have. Um, I think the best tool to ever use is the gifts that God has already given you. Um, we can spend a lot of time comparing ourselves to other people. Um, I don't sing. Um, there's so many things that I don't do well. I certainly don't do CrossFit. Um, yeah. um, Sonicare, CrossFit, Jesus. <laughs> Not um, in that order. I know. Um, you know, I, I just really have to slow down and think about what God has put in me to give um, and whether that's how I am as a teacher um, there's teachers that are amazing and use humor to really connect with kids. Well, that's not me either. And so don't get caught up with what other people are doing. These are our stories. Um, but you have your own story and your own gifts. So you really, really start there. Um, what do you already naturally feel comfortable doing? Um, and then embrace that and use that. So I think that's the best tool. Um, a place, again, that I came from is just genuinely be interested in people. Um, that's what we're here for. We get very caught up in things and activities, but genuinely um, be interested in people. Um, for Pete and I, we had to make a lot of decisions about where are the people in our lives, and right now they are sitting in the stands with us at sporting events, and we learned that we had to give up church commitments, actually, in, um, in order to be with other people, um, some who we have discovered have a wonderful faith and walk with the Lord, and some who don't. And again, just listening to the stories. Um, so those of you with kids or young kids and you're coming into that, whatever it is that your child is interested in, I would encourage you to embrace that and the parents that come along with that um, because we're quickly realizing that once our kids are out of the house, you don't have that connection with the community in the same way. So... Um, I think that's just, yeah. yeah, know your gift and know where you're at already and start there. 
I was thinking about something that Janice said earlier about um, people really usually want to share their stories. They just aren't sure how to start or that anybody cares. And mm -hmm. I think that um, as a Christian community, that's one of the things that we can show people is that we do genuinely care. There's an old saying uh, that God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason because we need to be listening twice as much as we're talking. And um, that's another thing that I'm learning about my faith and sharing faith is that, um, you know, when, when I'm talking with people about faith, it's not about what I can tell them. It's about what they can tell me about their life story, about where they've been, what are they bringing right now. Um, and when I think about sharing, the word sharing, I'm how, I, can't, I don't know how many times over there in preschool I use that word in a 45-minute period, you know, and we talk about what that means to share. Well, it doesn't mean that I'm going to have it the whole time. It means you're going to have it some, and I'm going to have it some, and we're going to get really creative about how we have this one item that three of us have to use. And it's amazing when we start thinking about what sharing actually means. It doesn't mean talking at you. It means bring it to me. Let's you and I figure out what this means together in community. I know those were good. I'm learning too. So I'm just going to speak about tools first. Just um, tools I use are just tools to grow my faith um, in my relationship with Jesus through prayer, like Bible studies, um, little devotionals, um, sermon note taking, any way I can learn more. Um, and as I keep my focus on God um, and that relationship piece where I want to know him more. That's just natural. Um, he just fills me up, and so that increases my faith. And then so from the my heart as it fills, it's just a natural overflow um, onto others and how I can love, love them, all of you. I'm pulling my phone out here so I can actually get to a verse. Um, with the Samaritan woman, I mean, if you look at uh, John 4 and uh, verse 39, uh, many Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's testimony. Um, he knew everything I ever did. Um, that is the big thing that you bring to the table. God has given you a story. God has given you something. Um, it may not be big. You may not see it as anything important, but he's brought you through something. He has carried you through something. And you're going to be able to reach people that I can't. I mean, I look at these four ladies or three ladies sitting up here, and um, just they can go to places and people that I can't get to. But on the opposite side of that, I can go to places and get to people that they can't get to. God has put you here. You have a voice. You have a reason. You have a purpose. Use it. And that's you know the tool that I've used. It's like I can't bring anything but what I have. So if I don't have it, it's not mine to bring. So. Will you join me in thanking these people for, uh, wow. Man, worship team's going to come up and uh, we're going to close. As we do, uh, faith and truth is a lot like the nail in my shoe. It was truth. Fortunately, it went through my toes and I didn't have to get a second tetanus shot in six months. But faith and truth is sharing that, like everybody said, the real authentic you, the you 
the you that sticks their foot on nails. The me and the you that needs Jesus as our Savior. Not something that you need, but the Savior who heals and saves. So let's stand and respond to God that truth is not just right statements. It is Jesus, and we can encounter him every day.